For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. On Resurrection Sunday morning, there was cause for great joy. The stone had been rolled away, the tomb was empty, and angels had announced the good news that Jesus was alive. But not all of Christ's followers shared in the joy. Let's join Pastor Ross now for this Easter Sunday morning message that shows how Jesus comes alongside his doubting disciples to help them see the truth and experience his joy. All right, so Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, where uh, we're going to be headed and take our um, reflection from. Luke 24, uh, it's the last chapter in the gospel of Luke, and Luke's going to handle the uh, incidents that happened in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening, uh, all in chapter 24. We're going to take the middle section the afternoon on the road to Emmaus, as it's called. And so heads up where we're going. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here, that we're just not a part of some dead religion, but we have a relationship with the living God because of what Jesus did and how the Holy Spirit kind of woke us up, brought us from death to life, from unbelief to faith, and... uh, We are so blessed, Lord. So help us now to understand and make sense of these words that came from heaven. They're God-breathed words sent to save us. May we hear them for what they are and uh, yield our lives to your will. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I was watching a documentary a couple weeks ago. It was about the 2004 Indian Ocean Tsunami. Um, that happened there the day after Christmas. Um, 14 countries, a quarter of a million people lost their lives. Uh, the documentary really focused, and perhaps some of you have had seen it, uh, on a few American families who were vacationing in Thailand. And they were retelling the story, and some of them had happy endings and some of them not so happy. But you're following their story, and uh, they're talking about suddenly out of nowhere the whole bungalow submerged in ocean water and how they got ripped apart from each other. And, and the last that they seen of their loved ones as they were just whisked away with all kinds of debris and trees and twisted metal and buildings and cars floating by. It's a wonder anybody survived. I have a quick picture just to let you know. So, so the riveting part of, of it was when these families were talking about, okay, I, I came to, I was injured, but the first thing on my mind is where are my loved ones? Am I ever going to see so-and-so again? And so they cut to the different families and, and you're following their journey to see if they're going to be reunited with those they were torn apart from. And with each passing hour, of course, and with each passing day, uh, their hopes were diminished of ever seeing that person alive. Now, can you imagine, though, the flood of 
joy and the emotions, you know, after that kind of ordeal to suddenly see somebody alive and well. Well, you know, I started to make some correlations here uh, because they started saying, well, it had been three days, three long days after this terrible ordeal. Uh, and they had found their brother's clothing only, but no body. And it had been three days. And so my mind is like, oh, I've heard this story before somewhere. Uh, and they were at the end and pretty much had given hope. But then they, were, they had a lead. Somebody said, you know, there's an American who fits the description. A local rural hospital, you should go check that out. And they went to the hospital and they went into the room and they pulled back the curtain and they had actual footage. And there he was. Alive and well, and, and opened up his arms and said, I'm here, I'm alive. And uh, all of their reaction, they just focused on them, and they, were, they couldn't speak. They were trying to relate. They were saying, uh, uh, the emotion that we, they couldn't even say, of course, how could you? One of them said, I felt like the earth began to spin again. You know, those kinds of emotions that are so deep. And so, you know, I, of course, you know, we're two weeks out from Easter. I'm like, oh, hey, uh, thank you for my introduction on uh, Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, the three days and the finding the clothes and then the pulling the curtain and bam, there he is. It's just the joy. Not only for the disciples, but the whole point is, is that for us, those in Christ who put their trust in him. One day the, the curtain's going to be pulled back and I'm going to see my mom. I want to see my dad. They both gave their hearts to Christ and late in life. I'm going to see them and they're going to see me. And that, that is a joy. How can you explain that joy? And then uninterrupted joy with the God, the curtain pulls back, the God who made me and you. Looking into the eyes and as the song goes, touching the face of the one who made me. That's pretty much the message of Easter is that because of what Christ did on Friday and what happened on Sunday, he, I mean, it's really saying the payment received has cleared <laughs> the payment's good what happened on friday has been received the payment for the sins of the world and so uh, just an awesome way to begin here now it didn't seem to matter to the disciples that and, and especially the ones we're going to read about um, that jesus had been warning them over and over again over and over again you read the gospels he's saying hey listen heads up we're going to jerusalem the Son of God is going to be betrayed to the Roman authorities, and they will crucify him. They will mock him. They will flog him. They will spit upon him. But on the third day, I'll rise, right? Because it's the whole point. He came to do that, to pay for the sins of the world. It didn't matter to them that there were 300 Jewish prophecies that told that the Messiah had to suffer and then rise again as a sin offering for the sins of the world. That's it. And then the miracles that accompanied the death on Friday. The sun stopped shining for three hours. I guess you know that should tell you something significant here is going on. An earthquake, the temple veil is torn in two, but it didn't matter. You know why? 
because the hands that, that touched the lepers and healed them, the hands that raised the dead, the hands that opened blind eyes, they were nailed to a piece of wood. The feet that walked on water, that was, whoa, that. When he got in the boat after walking on the water, you know, they said, who is this guy? I mean, they said man, but, you know. I, I mean, wouldn't you say the same thing? I mean, who walks on water, you know? But it didn't matter in that moment because those feet had holes in them now, right? And so Peter said, uh, when, when the Lord asked Peter in John chapter 6 once, he said, are you taking off? Is this teaching too hard for you too? And Peter says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. The one who spoke words of life was dead. So everything else was out the window, right? It shouldn't have been, but it was. Now we're going to read about two of them who the Lord comes alongside them and takes them from willful unbelief, as the Lord will call it, and takes them to the light, turns them around and gets them back on the right path. Let's pick up in the afternoon now at verse 13. I'll project it on here for you. Well, with the help of that. (laughs) So reading now that same day, Resurrection Sunday morning, two of them, disciples, the wider circle, not the famous ones, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other, about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself comes up alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So let's park there. So what we'll do is just walk through the afternoon with them, kind of joining them in their walk and kind of as spectators, because you know what's cool about, uh, commentators call the Emmaus Road the jewel of the gospel. And they do that because... You're going to see how God works in our lives, how he comes alongside, reasons with us, uses things to turn us around and get us going on the right path again. And really, any sermon is only worth you understanding your part in it. Where am I in all of this? Well, we're, we're on the road and Jesus pulls up. And so I think you're going to see a lot of things about how God works in our, in our hearts and, and lives. So, so the, it's not just a story about two guys who have doubt and confusion. It's about me and you and our hearts that are slow to believe and how God uh, turns us around. So first, if we're looking at our text, I would say the first lesson I would say is God is the one who pursues us. You know, they're not pursuing, they're walking the wrong way, right? They're walking away from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, what had gone on there already? The women, verses 1 through 11, had happened. The women had seen angels clothed with lightning. The angels had told them, he's not here. What are you looking in a cemetery for someone who's alive, And so much is happening in Jerusalem. That's where God's people are gathering. That's where Jesus is being seen. Uh, Everything's happening there. But where are they? They're walking the opposite direction. They're going home. They're not happy. 
their faces are, are crestfallen. Uh, they have despair and doubt because they just don't get it. So, so who are these guys walking the wrong way? Well, well, God is pursuing two of them. They are a part of the wider circle of disciples. You know, of course, there were 12. Now they're going to be called the eleven because one of them betrayed Jesus and is no more. They are not those guys, because later in our text, they're going to go to the 11. So we know, and later in this story, we get one of their names. Cleopas is one of their names. So remember when the Lord sent out 72 disciples? The word disciple just means follower, all right? In this case, we got two people we don't know anything about. They call themselves disciples, but they're more like followers. That's what the word means, or learner, right? But they don't have a lot of faith. They don't believe anything. They're in total uh, darkness. Jesus has to kind of turn the lights on and open their eyes. So whether they're saved or not at this point isn't the question, because either way, this is the way. I mean, even after we get our eyes open, we get on wrong baths a lot, and God has to do the same sort of things that we're going to see him do Today, So either way, whether they were fully saved or not, the lessons are, are really good here. Uh, I, I, I seriously doubt that they had the fullness of what we call salvation because they're in utter disbelief. And so uh, uh, what are they doing? They're heading home, you know, away from where all the action is. It's Passover weekend, but First Fruits is starting, and so it's a holiday time. Uh, but they're not very happy. They got a two and a half hour walk, so it's perfect for them to just kind of unload on one another. And that's what they're doing. Now, I want to call your attention to something interesting the way the discussing is emphasized here. They're talking with each other about everything. Talking is not the usual word in, in the Greek, all right, and for talking. And as they talk, different word and discuss different word, these things with each other. So uh, here's what's happening. In verse 14, the word homileo in the Greek, it, it's where we get the word homiletics. Homiletics is what pastors have to study to preach. So it's sermonizing. So they're, they're throwing around deep uh, theological questions. What is going on here? Now, the second word they use for discussion in verse 15 comes from the same word that describes Stephen in front of the Greek-speaking um, synagogue. Remember, they got into a big debate in Acts chapter 7 that cost him his life at the end. That word is used to describe how they're talking. They're talking with heat and passion and only the way Jews do, you know? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will show you how you do it. Oy vey, what? How could he do this to us? You know, sorry. That's as far as I'm going to take it. And shouldn't they be? You know who's dead? The guy who told them how to get out of hell. Where do we get the whole idea of hell? And what, and, and what it's like there. Where do we get that from? From Jesus' lips. You know the red part when you open a Bible? The red is what Jesus said. You, you check out the red part, and he's talking about that. So now he's dead. He's the one who said, hey, if you believe in me, you'll live forever. But he's dead. He's the one who said, hey, here's how to get to heaven. 
Matthew 24, he gave a whole sermon on how the end of the world happens. Talks about Armageddon. But he's dead. So shouldn't they be a little bit heated? Their eternal souls are on the line. Everything hinged on this guy. And he seemed to have the credentials walking on water, raising up dead people. And now what? What should I believe about the eternal fate of my soul? That's the conversation they're having. That's where he comes in, right? One author put it this way. Matters that involve God, the Bible, and the destiny of eternal souls ought to prompt within all men and women a deep searching and passionate, committed examination of the gospel's claims since so much is on the line. And then it says, sadly, many speak of such matters in the same way used for shopping at the mall or the weather forecast. Listen, I'm just going to put it out there. If there's a 1% chance that there's a hell and a 0.1% chance that it could be in my future, you know what? It's worth taking the whole subject pretty seriously. Amen? Amen. Okay, so they they are. (laughs) They're taking it. So that's what Jesus pulls up. And I'll just tell you this. And Jesus will always come alongside. And by the way, the word for the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of Jesus. In the Greek is called parakletos, which means the one on the side. That's what he does. He come, Before we know him, he's alongside, poking holes and poking around in there, trying to get our attention, and just exactly what he's going to do here. So he comes alongside, but why? Because they're, they're struggling. They're wondering. They're heartbroken. They're looking for answers. Oh, mm. ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find knock and the door. That is all, anytime that happens in the human heart, bam, the paraclete toss the spirit of Christ. He's there, pulls up alongside. And just like in this case, they won't, they don't know it. And many times we don't recognize that it's him as well. When hearts are broken, God is near. That's just the way it is. And so uh, they're on the wrong road. They should be going the other way. Uh, and now they need to turn around, which is, you know what's cool, of course. The word for turn around is the word repent. The word literally in the Greek means to turn around. So they're on the road heading away from all this joy and all this life and all this blessing. Why are you going down the wrong road? So Jesus, in his love, because God wills that none perish, but all come to repentance, turning around to be on the right road. So he pursues them, and now he's there. But he's, and it says here, he says, Jesus came up and walked alongside, but they were kept from recognizing him. What's up with that? Well, Jesus pulls up, and he slows their ability to recognize him. Of course, they're not ready. He can't go up, hey, it's me, it's Jesus. They are way not ready. They're undercooked. They're, they are not ripe. 
But you got to go through a process before you are harvested, right? You got to know where am I going wrong? Why am I going down this wrong road? How to, who is he? What did he do? What does he require? There's stuff to know and have kind of experience before you can give your heart to the Lord. So you can't just show up and say, hey, it's me. You're on the wrong road. Turn around. It, it short circuits the whole deal. Matthew, uh, Mark rather, chapter four, Jesus tells a parable. And he says, think of the kingdom of heaven like a guy who goes out and scatters seed. And then suddenly a stalk shoots up. He doesn't know how. Day and night, it's always growing, right? And he says, first the stalk, then, and then, and then what does he say? He says, the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. When the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. It's time for harvest. Oh, well, you can't harvest something that's not ripe. It's fruitless for, and a pun, I guess, intended there. <laughs> it, it, it's unproductive for both sides. What are you going to do with stuff you can't eat? And why did you cut it off? You're going to make it worse and harder for the, for the well, impossible in some cases. So uh, he keeps them until he can process them through the walk. It's only going to take an afternoon, but you know what? Years have gone in to the process. And when you hear a Christian testimony, we call our little journey, how we came to faith, we call it a testimony. And when you hear the testimony, you hear of how the stock started and then it grew up and then there was a head and then the grain and then this happened and that happened and then I understood this and then whoosh, I went to a Billy Graham thing and he said, if anyone is here, who, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That was better than it was in my head. <laughs> and then, bam, the sickle comes down, and everybody thinks Billy led him to the Lord. Well, Billy kind of did this, but there was so much work that went in years of the paraclete alongside saying, come on, hey, here, connect the dot, connect the dot, and he get them all the way. And then he says, Billy, do it. And Billy does it, and bam, there they are. But that's how... That's how it goes. Let's move on. Some of you are like, hey, you know, I got, a, I got brunch waiting for me, man. How long is this story? Oh, a good chunk here. Oh. You were really thinking that. I accidentally said that. I didn't think anybody was really sitting there thinking that. And then you betray your own thoughts by laughing. That'll teach you. <laughs> big chunk, big chunk. He, he asked them, what are you discussing together? This is Jesus. As you walk along, they stand still, their faces downcast. They're kind of, you know, like, who are you? One of them named Cleopas asks him, are you, only, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that is clueless here, that doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? Jesus, just smiling, what things? <laughs> I, you know, I am kind of the center focus of those things, you know, they're all about me, and, but yeah, what things? I'm all ears, guys, tell me. Well, about Jesus, hello, of Nazareth, they reply. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. Well, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find a body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who told them he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. You know, where is he? Wow, right there. So the second point then, the second truth we can see is that when he comes alongside, he comes alongside uh, to get our attention. You know, when the kids were little, I got three kids, they're all grown up now. But when they're little, you know, when something is important that daddy has to share with them, you know, they're all, you know, they're growing up. They're doing their growing up things. So you have to grab their face gently. (laughs) Their beautiful, cute, freckled face, just beautiful face, eyeball to eyeball. Daddy's talking to you, (laughs) right? And so when daddy needs to talk to you when you're on the wrong path. He has a variety of creative ways to get off. Whoa. (laughs) That was one of them. (laughs) To get a hold of your face in his hands and say, my child, you listening to me? Can you hear me? I see things you can't see, and I, I love you, and uh, you're, uh, it's all over here, and you're going this way, with, uh, right? So that's what he does. So step number one, he gets our attention. So he comes up, he enters their stride, and they're like, uh, you know, he says, what's all the ruckus about? Boys, tell me, you know? And uh, they're, they're, they're kind of like, well, you know, Jesus has a way, God has a way of helping us to unburden uh, our inmost thoughts because you got to get them out there to, to see where, where the right path is. And so he just does that. He has a way. And so I love what it says. It says they stand still. So they've been walking. Here comes this guy. He's now in stride with them, and he gets their attention. Fellas, they stop and turn, mouths open. Are you kidding me? How could you ask a question like that? Well, yeah, because now I've got your attention, don't I? Right? Now, every Christian in here can tell you their story about along the path how God just went, whoa, out of, out of nowhere. Whether it was through a blessed time or a challenging time, we all have these little moments that we tell in our story how God kind of invaded, came alongside and was our first little awakenings. Let me tell you how it happened. I was 17. God, a, a godless home, no, no talk of Jesus. I never, it never entered my mind. I'm in social studies class. I'm a junior. I'm sitting next to, let's call her Sandy because that was her name. Uh, <laughs> Sandy Mercer. The social studies teacher says, okay, class, I've got a little project. She passed out white construction paper and crayons. So it's like, okay, fun to be a kid again. She said, I want you to, to draw death. And I'm like, ugh. 
I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. What? Everybody's just going to do what I'm doing. And I took the black crayon and I, I peeled a little bit of it so I could get the, the side edge going. And I got the side, you know, all black. And I'm like doing my thing. And I look over at Sandy after a couple minutes and her, her paper's all yellow. <laughs> I, I, yellow with flowers and birds were in the sky. And I said, Sandy, she said, death. And she said, I know. This is heaven where my Jesus is. I'm like, you're who? (laughs) What? I'm telling you right now, I have goosebumps because it is the first time a human being spoke to me about a heaven that she believes exists and a person named Jesus I knew that name as long as it was abused, but I never heard somebody say, my Jesus. I'm telling you, folks, it was like two symbols. My head was in the middle, (laughs) and two symbols came and went bing, and my head was reverberating. It had nothing to do with the picture or Sandy Mercer, who I did ask out on a date after that. I was attracted, not to Jesus, <laughs> at the moment. And, of course, that's not going to work, because I didn't love her Jesus, right? So, anyway, that's another story. <laughs> it, was the voice be- it was the voice that I heard, there's a heaven, man. There's a reason, there's a purpose for Ross. There's a Jesus, there's a God. It wasn't just all accident. Oh, everything like that was being downloaded into my head by her simple action. Why? Because God was alongside Ross. He was sitting along the side at the desk right there, just poking around. I was like, mind your own business. (laughs) The next time, the next year, my father, my Jewish hard-hearted father from Brooklyn, becomes a Christian. He, 55 years old, he comes home with a Bible. Where'd you get the Bible? San Jose Public Library. Why'd you get that? I rented it. Yeah, I figured that, that. But what, why? Why? Because Jesus is coming. What? <laughs> At dinner time, you know, he's chain smoking while he's telling me this. Yeah. I, <laughs> Jesus is coming, and there's the voice. It's not my father. It's not the Bible he's holding. It's that voice like, hey, remember me, Sandy Mercer? Remember that? Remember the connection? It's the same tone, the same. I, I started thinking, oh, okay, there's, there's possibility here that somebody's after me, <laughs> and it's not my father or Sandy Mercer. The third time, huge, a street preacher in front of the bank. I moved out of my house to get away from my preaching father, right? Uh, I didn't know that the Lord lived in San Francisco as well. (laughs) And his people. There's a street preacher in front of the door. I'm trying to get to work in front of the bank in the financial district. Excuse me, I'm 19 years old. Excuse me, sinners are going to hell. I'm like, and so are you if you don't get out of my way. (laughs) I said, how? dare you 
called me. You don't even know me. I, and my friends are like, Ross, come along here. I did not like what that guy was saying. All kinds of things about lying and stealing and being falling short of the glory of God. I'm like, who gave you the right? Get off this street. And I didn't use very nice language either. But then God just turned up the heat, turned up the voice, and it was whispers of love. It was urgency. It was connecting the dots time. And I'll tell you later how it came out. But you probably figured it out, right? <laughs> so he gets the attention. So he says to them, there, tell me, tell me everything, guys. Tell me your version. I'm interested. And so they say, hey, well, here's, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Uh, number one. There was this mighty prophet named Jesus, and he did supernatural stuff. And man, when he spoke, it was, wow, I can just see Jesus. Seriously? That's what you got out of three and a half years? That I'm some prophet? I'm some nice guy, nice religious dude who's prophesying? Oh, man, I was virgin born, man. I don't have a human father. How is that possible that you just take away that I'm a prophet? I'm just a prophet. I'm a good religious example. Is that what you guys, no wonder you're in darkness heading the wrong way. You, you never made the connection of who I truly am. Even your scriptures say, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, almighty God. They knew the Messiah had to be God himself in a human body because he, he said it. Who else could walk on water and raise the dead? Who else could do those things? Who else could say, whoever believes in me, all your sins are finished and you'll live forever. Who else could say that? A prophet? Come to me and I'll give you rest, whoever you are. Oh, man, too bad. As long as you keep Jesus as a nice human example or a prophet, you're gonna be walking down the wrong path with these dudes. Uh, the second wrong thing they do, <laughs> the religious leaders handed him over to the Roman authorities and had him killed. Those big meanies ruined everything. They killed him and he's dead. They won, he lost. You guys. <laughs> I was slain before the foundation of the world. I came and the three of uh, the wise men came and brought embalming spices. This was on my heart to do before there was an earth. This was a plan. Nobody took my life. John chapter 10. Nobody takes the life of the Son of God. He willingly lays it down. They want to kill him. They, they plan and they say to each other, not on Passover because it'll be a big riot. Of course, Jesus says, it doesn't have anything to do with you. This is no accidental death. I will die on Good Friday because I'm the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is like... They're just like everybody who thinks Jesus was killed for his good work. Nothing could be further than the truth. Jesus' good work was to be killed. He came, he said, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, the Son of Man, the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom payment. He knew why he came. Like these guys did, no? They killed him. He tried to, he tried to do his thing, and evil has won. Well, 
you know, tell me more, Jesus, <laughs> tell me more. Thirdly, sadly, we were hoping that he would rescue Israel. Oh, you know, things didn't go the way God didn't do what I expected him to do. So, you know what? We're going home and we're going to be Eeyores about it. Oh, we're all going to die. We had hope, but no. Oh, you know what? Listen, I blame the pastor for that problem in their theology because the Jewish synagogue would take out the scrolls on the Sabbath and they would read from all the prophets about the second promise, the second coming when God saves Israel, which God does, but not before he saves the souls of mankind by coming humbly first as a sin offering. He lays his life down, but he comes a second time the way they expected he would come the first time. So why I blame the pastor is because he doesn't want to talk about the suffering servant. So he's just going to pull from the scrolls that say Israel's going to be saved, Israel's going to be saved, Israel's going to be saved. And they just think, well, why? Oh, there he's dead. How about Israel? Oh, well, Israel gets saved after he saves you first, right? So the fifth one's the best one. The next one, or the fourth one, if you're taking notes, they say, what's more? This is the third day. And Jesus like, and finish the sentence. Why would they say, and, and to add, moreover, on top of everything else, it's the third day. Okay, I will tell you. Everybody's talking about the third day because Jesus said when he was alive, he kept saying the third day, the third day, the third day. Well, look around. Do you see him? <laughs> They're saying to him, you know what's really big about this? Today's the day. It's supposed to be here. <laughs> we don't see him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I could just see Jesus. And then number five, I love that one too. Some of our ladies... They went down to the tomb, and they're telling some amazing stories, man. They went, Jesus, they didn't say Jesus. They said, hey, listen, man. They went to the tomb, and guess what? They didn't find a body. Wow. And Jesus' face, really? <laughs> they didn't find the body. Wow. I could hear Jesus saying, and you didn't think it. You'll just notice, number one, they just don't believe. They don't believe. They didn't say, hey, the angels told our ladies that Jesus was alive, they say, oh, they had some vision, right? They don't believe or they wouldn't be walking the other way all depressed, right? And so here's the problem. It's all a third story to them. It's a report, you know? It's like a religious station showing you why Jesus came at Easter and at, at Christmas. These guys who are experts who are not believers, they're just relating a story. And, you know, it's, it's dead. It is dead. It's a dead religion unless you have faith. And they don't have that faith at the moment. Uh, you'll notice they got, they got the facts pretty good. Some of them are good. But they're missing the key idea that makes it all alive. Faith, right? So when they say, hey, our guys checked it out, and the ladies, yep, uh, they found it just like the ladies said. They didn't see Jesus ha had enough time to kind of turn on the lights. So Jesus is like, okay, blood pressure is raising, and boom, next slide. He says to them, how 
foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ, Christ is Greek word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word, it's a title that just means the one, the selected way to be saved, the chosen path to, to God. Have to suffer? Didn't he have to suffer? Come on, it's written. You guys know that. And beginning with Moses, first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's what Moses means, and the prophets, he started giving them a Bible study and explaining to them that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, that is a Bible study that I wish I could have been a part of. He's telling them, first of all, he wrote them, right? And it's all about him. And then who better to communicate than God Almighty in a body? Oh, man. Well, wow. That just, I mean, they're, they're getting a good deal there. <laughs> they're getting a really good deal. So if you're taking notes, the next truth really is that God prepares our hearts by humbling us. Uh, before there's a, a chance to go back on the, in the right direction, there's a little bit of humbling that has to come. And you see the humbling here. This is not a compliment, right? So <laughs> this is not an affirmation. And so, you know, that's the hard part, is the gospel comes with uh, the primer to get you ready to have a Savior and to have a Lord is to put you in your rightful place. And what, what is your rightful place? Well, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's nothing that we can do to fix that bridge and that it had to be done for us. And this is a blow to anybody's pride, especially guys. He's telling guys, you can't fix it. You've blown it. It's irreparable. I have to do it for you. And you'll hear a lot of guys say, hey, it's a crutch. Religion's a crutch. First of all, it's not a religion, it's a relationship with God. And, and, and yes, you're right, it is. It's a crutch. Because God says, I'm powerless. And on the day of my death, I'm going to be leaning on that crutch pretty good. Yeah, because it's going to assist me, not only in this life, but to be with him. And so it's humbling. He has to say, you guys, you know, slow of heart means you've known the information, this isn't a head problem. This is willful. You are dragging your feet. You know the truth. You've been told the truth. You know the scriptures. And you've had Christian testimony delivered straight to your heart. But you're slow. And why were they slow? They're slow just because they're just like us. They don't want to commit. They don't want to, to yield their life to a savior. It's fun calling your own shots. Who doesn't like to be the master of their own destiny? Well, there aren't, there's no space for two thrones, man. There's, you can't have two masters, right? So he has to kind of, and he has his way of in all of our lives, you know? And if you talk to a Christian, they'll tell you how they had to find their place. And boy, it's hard. There, Jesus told a story quickly of two guys at, at church service. One was praying standing he was called a Pharisee, and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like any of these guys. I am a good citizen. I pay my taxes. I pay my tithes. I give people the shirt off of my back. I'm basically a good guy. Aren't you glad I'm on your team kind of thing? 
Then Jesus said, and there was this other guy, a tax collector. And the audience went, ooh. <laughs> they didn't like tax collectors, right? So uh, two years ago, by the way, I was baptizing. And I asked the guy, so what do you do? In front of everybody. He goes, I'm a tax collector. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to hold you down longer. <laughs> It was in your pool. Oh, no, 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 no. It was in the Grudhoff's pool. Yeah. Anyway, I threw that in for free. So, I t- I, you know, the, the guy says, the tax collector says, he do- Jesus describes him this way. He did not look up to heaven. He beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy's going to heaven. That guy is not. Why does he need to die for you, sir, if you got it all together? He came from messed up, broken, sinful people who cannot help themselves. They need a savior, and that's why he's called savior. And that's the bad news of the good news. Amen? And that's what he, that's what he had to do there. And so what did he do? He went through the books of Um, Genesis, he said, hey, guys, come on, Abraham offering up his only son on the same hill that Jesus dies on? Come on, put the connections there. The virgin birth, Isaiah talks about, surely, I mean, he just, he spent two hours just about getting through to them and explaining to them all all that the, the Bible has. And so it's time for the cure, you know, so the cure is to hook them up for and tell them truth. It's, and I want you to notice something here. He doesn't, tell, doesn't say, hey, I know what will help you, a miracle. That'll get you snapped on to, into shape and on the right road. He doesn't do that. And, and he doesn't tell them anything they didn't already know. It's not about throwing more words at them. He's just going to say, let's try this again. I'm going to tell you what you already know, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. So let's go back to the beginning. You're back in Sunday school, remember? And that's all he's doing is repeating and refreshing. Uh, And let's see what happens. Now, this is one of the most important parts of the story. As they approach the village, she's done with the Bible study, to which they're going. Jesus acts as if he's going further. But they urge him strongly, hey, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. If you're taking notes, number four, the lesson here is God calls us to respond. When he comes alongside and he lets a little light in, hey, there's a heaven, Ross, and it's her Jesus. She has this relationship with Jesus. He's he's watching. And? What are you going to do with that light? Are you going to let me, are you going to say, yes, hey, I'm interested. I want more of that. You'll get more. But if you don't, he's not just pretend acting. He's showing a theological huge truth that he's done his part. He sought them out. He's listened to their long story. He's shown them the error of their way. He's put them in his place, in their place. He's told them the truth about who he is and who they are. He's done. He's corrected their misconceptions. And now he's like, okay, you heard it. Your turn. 
Oh, that's what will separate heaven from hell right there. The ones in heaven say, hey, hey, yes, I'm in. Come home, come with me. I'm open to this. Yeah, you were rough on me. I didn't like hearing that. You called me a fool. <laughs> you called me a fool, fool. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, the word doesn't mean moron. In, when, when Jesus says don't use the word fool in Matthew 5, the word there is moron. Don't use that word. Here, it means, it's not much better, but it, it, it means dull or stupid. <laughs> it just means a little slow there. So, that's the difference. Oh, yeah, when you get to heaven, oh, well, tell all your friends. Uh, God sends nobody to hell, not one soul on that awesome day they will stand before him and he will say, ah, oh, with his nail scarred. Oh, I tried everything, but thy will be done. Because Jesus delivered, boom, 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 slap, 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 light, 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 light. And they went, keep walking, buddy. Keep walking. That's the only difference. Now about good, bad, they have nothing to do with good. The most heinous people will be in heaven because they actually really repented, seriously, genuinely, and God changed them and forgave them. And it's not about good. It's about being made alive and yielding to the light that you have. Jesus is the one who said, Matthew 13, whoever responds to light, Matthew 13 and verse 12, whoever responds to the little light they have, they'll be given more. Whoever does not, the light that they have will disappear. Oh, so it, that's the most important. Okay, time for brunch. Last paragraph. <laughs> oh, I'm getting hungry. You know what? Eggs Benedict, doesn't that sound good? Let's talk about it. Just kidding. So they say, hey, come on. So he goes, gladly, because that's what happens when you say yes to the Lord. He comes in and lives with you, and hangs out with you, and sups with you. When he was at the table with them, he takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, begins to give it to them. Then their eyes are open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That's my favorite line. That's like, oh, we get it. Oh, they ask each other, now, now. Oh, you know, you know, guys. Didn't I tell you? No. Didn't I tell you, look, 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 they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while you talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Yeah, why didn't you say that before? <laughs> you know, oh, I knew it. Yeah, right. They, they, they got up and returned at once. Boom, something happened in those hearts. They're on the right road. They're, there they find the 11 minus Judas. And those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. They're telling them. Then the two tell the story of what happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Uh, so, what, so what happened there? Jesus comes in. He says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse, what is it, 10? No, it's 3 and... 22, 
right? Where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and spend and have supper with him. Look at this. I mean, he's acting out the scripture. So he comes and he takes the job of the host. You know, the host was supposed to do that. But he says, you know, he's here. He's about to reveal, the big reveal. So he takes the bread as in every Jewish home. You see the, the, the grace by, by tearing the bread. So he tears the bread, which is pretty significant. They don't know about the Last Supper yet, but it's pretty significant because when he tears the bread, guess what falls down a little bit? And guess what they see? Wounds. They see the wounds. And boom. The Lord has ripened the grain. It's time. And notice that their eyes were open. They're passive. It doesn't say, and they opened their eyes. No, they responded. He said, hey, here's the truth. It's not pretty. You know, you're acting this way and da, da, da. Here's the truth. Come stay with us. Oh, now I'll open your eyes. He opens the eyes because they responded. We had a part to play. They did what they needed to do. But now, see, he waited until when, he, when they see this, they're like, that was God in a body. That was for the sins of the world. But those wounds are for me. Now they get it. But before, <laughs> they're not ready for this. It's like, oh, yeah, by what? Yeah, how does that affect me? Now they get it. Right, And immediately, when eyes open, and you, this is how you know you're, you got it, immediately something starts to change and your direction changes. So now they're back on the road. They just came seven miles. Now they're going to walk seven miles back. I have a feeling that it's not so much of a walk, but a little bit of a quickened pace now. And not in despair, but their whole life has changed. Their whole life has changed. What's exciting also is what happens, you can read it in your leisure, you know, afterwards, the evening, Jesus shows up at this, he, they, they go into the room, the, the 11 famous ones are there, there's Mary, and everybody's talking, and, and they run in, and they say, hey, Peter's been appeared to, and they're like, hey, we know, let us tell our story too, so they say, hey, listen, we're walking on the road, and then suddenly, and it says, Suddenly, Jesus, while they're talking, while the two guys are talking, Jesus stands in their midst. That's when they all freak out. They're afraid. They think they're seeing his spirit, right? So he says, guys, listen, don't freak out. You guys got a piece of fish here? And so they go, yeah, we do. So, you know, one of the women go, over here, he's hungry. Feed the Lord. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm glad I made extras. <laughs> and she brings a plate, you know. And he takes it, and he eats it. And in my mind, he eats, swallows, and goes, <laughs> see? Look, he eats the fish saying, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone, as you see I do. Now it's changed. He can walk through things. So obviously, it's flesh and bone, but no blood. He's spirit-generated now. Which tells, and Philippians 3 says, when we die and we're glorified in Christ, that we get a body like his. Which will be very helpful if you find, like me, uh, you walk into things a lot, you know. <laughs> it'd be a lot less painful, you know. I'll still be walking into stuff, but yeah, who cares? <laughs> Just walk right through. Well, you know, humor me, you know. I, for me, that's an important thing. <laughs> so, you know, it all, it all comes down to my sheep hear my voice. 
They were the sheep. They heard the voice. They wanted more. He gave them an opportunity. I, I, I'm going to close with a story that I've told before, uh, but it shows that, you know, sometimes there are moments you must act or miss out. Had they let Jesus walk, they would have missed out on a huge thing. Huge blessing happened that night. But if we let Jesus walk in life, you miss out on what the Bible calls eternal life, and you will have eternal, eternal loss if you let him go. And the thing about this is that we've kind of been walking with him, and he came up alongside certain people here, all, all people and he started poking around in all of us. And he's there. And you don't see him just like the story. And he's going to, as the service and uh, us part, he's leaving, in a sense. And he's like, uh, what about, what? yeah, more? Do I come home? You invite me in the car? You, know, you don't have to say, hey, I won't be a Christian right now. You, you may be not at that place, but you could say, hey, I heard some truth. I want more. I'm open. Come in the car, that voice. Come on, I'm open. Whoever you are up there. I mean, if that's where you're at. So there are some people, you're ripe. You're like, hey, I'm here. I need to get the sickle, which I will gladly provide. <laughs> Let me just tell you this one story, and then we're off. So I'm, I, I'm driving home. We lived in Sebastopol at the time. I told you I've shared this before. But there's this little florist out in front of the Safeway there. And uh, just passing by. And for a PR thing to get you to come into the florist, it, it will say on the board, it says, um, if your name is Robert, come on in for your free rose. And so every day I'd go by and I'd see a different name there. And one day I'm driving and it says, if your name is Ross, come in and get your free rose. I'm like, shut up. I'm like, who, who, Ross is not a common name. It's like the last name I pictured. Well, what? How'd you? So I pulled into Safeway's parking lot and I just started thinking about it. I could go in there, get the rose, go home, say, Barb, I was thinking about you today. <laughs> You got to do what you got to do, honey. <laughs> so, so, so I pull in, and I'm facing now. If that entrance faces that florist, and I'm like, where do I park? Do I really want to go in? Hi, my name is Ross. You know, it just kind of cheesed me out just enough to where I was like, uh, you know, whatever. So I drove off. So I drove by the next day, and it was some guy's name, Curtis. You know, whatever. Sorry if your name is Curtis. I didn't mean any disrespect. So it's Curtis's turn. So I started thinking in my mind, you know how when you're driving, you just have bizarre thoughts, right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Me too. So I'm driving and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what if I went in there today? And I just go in and I say, hey. I can believe I saw my name yesterday. I mean, where'd you get the name Ross? I mean, yeah, that's not, uh, hopefully not from friends, because I don't want, you know. There's a guy on, never mind. So, 
So, hey, yeah, I like that rose. That'd be cool. Uh, sorry, it, well, that was yesterday. It's Curtis's time today. Is your name Curtis? No, it's Ross. And I saw my name. I drove right by it. I was, it was there, man. It was there. Yeah, it was there until 9 p.m., sir. And then we took the board in. And then because we own our own business, we, we, we decided the new name is Curtis. I want the rose. <laughs> We're calling the police. I missed the opportunity and I could go on for days. I was this close, you know? My parents named me Ross and, and I've been Ross all my life and I know lots of Rosses and uh, you can come up with all of your stuff. It doesn't matter. It was until 9 o'clock p.m. Boom, the door shut. Done. And when your heart stops beating, the sign comes in. The sign had your name on it. Your whole life, your whole life, that voice has been dogging you and will continue. But at 9 p.m., the doors close and they're locked. And Jesus tells a parable of people pounding on the door saying, hey, it's me. And he says, "Uh, do we know each other? You sure you want to come in here? There are Bibles and we're worshiping. It's like church and there's Jesus in here. That's not something you were interested in. That's not something you want. I understand you don't like the consequences of that choice, but you won't be happy in here because you chose otherwise, you see? So let's pray together. So as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I promise that I would, you know, give you sickle time. And if you're feeling like, hey, you know, I, I kind of get it, and, and I'm here not by accident, and today's a great day to become a Christian. It's easy to remember. If that's you, uh, we're going to just give you the opportunity to respond. And all that means is just slip your hand up, and we say a prayer together. We don't call you out, embarrass you, whatever, but... We just say the prayer together, and then you could go home and say, you know what? I became a Christian today. What a better day than Easter Sunday morning. It's kind of the most important holiday we have. So if that's you, you've given it some thought. You want to accept Christ as your Savior. You don't have all the answers, but you have enough faith to respond to the voice. Then just slip your hand up nice and high and say, today's my day. I'd like to become a Christian. All right. Several hands. That's nice. All right. And so we're going to say a prayer together. Let's just mean it in your heart. The Lord promises whoever calls on him shall be saved. Let's pray the sinner's prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in Christ that he died on the cross for my sins. I open up my heart I ask your forgiveness. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been down the wrong road. Thank you for coming to turn me around. I surrender to you my entire life. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray for all of us, Lord. We're 
even once we come to know you, we, we, we get confused and lost and take different paths. Lord, when you come alongside to correct us, even when we know you, Lord, help us not to be slow of heart and to resist the truth that's sometimes hard to swallow, but we just pray for your grace to be upon us and to help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.